Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation, where we are going to get inside the mind of a founder and talk about really those things that lie underneath that they're not talking about out loud and in public. I have a wonderful guest with us. She is an expert in this area, Carrie Jacobs Crovetto, who is, we're talking to her from the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the CEO and founder of The Force Majeure, and she has years and years of wonderful business wisdom and experience. And I think you're going to find this conversation to be quite delightful. So Carrie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Allison. I'm super excited to be here with you. Yeah. Tell everybody a little bit more about what you do today and the types of people that you work with. And then I'm I'm so excited to dig into some of these topics. Well, so the the top card is that I'm an executive coach, but what that really means for me is that I hold space and drive really critical and radical conversations with the leaders of today. Most of my clients tend to be young founders and startup CEOs, so under the age of 40, who have had a great idea, they have had great success getting funding, and now they're putting all the puzzle pieces together day to day to make sure that they can realize their dreams and realize the vision and the mission of their organization. Yeah, I I love what I do because I, I get to talk to mainly founding CEOs at all different stages of their life from all different countries. And I do have this phrase where I sometimes I ask them about naked truths, like what is some of those hard lessons learned? And there's a lot of vulnerability that it takes to be able to share. And I know from a lot of my guests, I get those things. But you talk to people all the time. So tell us something that is something that your clients kind of hold inside and don't really bring to the forefront for the general people that see what they're doing. I love the word vulnerability. First of all, I'm so happy that in the first three minutes of this podcast, we've used that word. Um, So With a lot of the young CEOs that I talk to, I think there's probably two most vulnerable feelings that maybe I get to hear about more than anyone else in their lives. And the first one is loneliness, just the loneliness of trying to lead a company when you may not have constituents internally that you can confide in, or maybe even your founders, right? You're struggling to feel that level of vulnerability with your founding team. So loneliness would be the first one. And the second one is, I think, really just being found out, like knowing what they do not know. I have um, one client who had a huge influx of money, for example, and he's a very young client. He's in his 20s. And got me on the phone and said, okay, I've got this huge influx of money. I have no idea what a C-suite should even look like, right? Now that's just mm-hmm. something they could never express in public, Yeah, right? 
And so there's just a lot of unknowns that they don't feel comfortable naming. And I get to sit on the other side and be sort of a silent partner and advocate for them. I think when you talk about, you know, being found out, I mean, that's very different in my mind than imposter syndrome, because imposter syndrome is just this, this light touch, like I shouldn't be here or I shouldn't, you know, people might look at me a different way, but being found out when you're a a founding CEO, particularly when you start to have investors, um, isn't, I, I can imagine how overwhelming that must be for the people that you speak to. I love that you talked about the difference between imposter syndrome, which I often think of as the root of imposter syndrome is often confidence. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the CEOs that I'm working with, I would not say they have a confidence issue. In fact, usually they're quite confident, mm-hmm. but they're still just, you know, especially when I'm working with particularly under 40, right? And they just haven't amassed enough time on the planet, enough time doing what they're doing to know everything. And so the being found out is really being found out for maybe the pieces and parts that I don't know. For example, a lot of my clients come from the tech world, right? So they, and many of them are coming from sort of product design and product ideas and product innovation. And there's huge swaths of gaps around how to run a business, the financial pieces, the operating models, right? That maybe they haven't been exposed to. And that's, those are the pieces that are really the being found out pieces. And most CEOs come from, generally speaking, like one particular um, like zone of excellence, right? Whether they're Mm -hmm. coming in from sales or they're coming in from product or they're coming in from, you know, somewhere else. And so, you know, there's many areas that they still don't know. And that, that can feel like a being found out energy, right? And this idea that you should somehow know everything because you've been given this magical title called chief executive officer, right? Just because you've gone through an accelerator program does not mean that you know, you know, everything. I love the phrase, you know, zone of excellence, because none of us are hundred percent in everything. So that leans to the next section that I want to talk about. You know, once you know and are comfortable with your zone of excellence, as well as you're comfortable with what your blind spots or potential weaknesses are, you can start to think about how you're going to build your your team and um, and build that that trust in those relationships. So, can you comment a little bit on how these young CEOs feel any of stress that they have around building the teams, their choices, their their leadership? What are some of the things in that arena? that keep them up at night? I can, and I'll actually tell it in a story. So I spent about 30 years in marketing roles and later in my life, several years as a chief marketing officer. And I would go in and have conversations and interviews with CEOs. And once they got comfortable with me, one of the big admissions that would come out, and hopefully I was, I already had sort of an adept ability to make people feel safe. And so one of the admissions would come that would come out ultimately would be, I have no idea what I'm even interviewing for. I don't know marketing. And this is common, right? It's not super common that you have CEOs that have like grown up in marketing. And so many times um, they don't even know what they're interviewing for. And they're in a position to have to make a decision about a critical role 
in their officer suite and they're not even sure how to make that decision and they're doing it from what they read online or they're talking to their their board or their investors who also typically won't always know because they come from their zone of excellence unless they've got a really great integrated and diverse board. So it's just, it's a scary moment when you have to pull together your team and we all come from, you know, we've all heard the term, I know, like hitting the nail with a hammer we have, right? And so we can have these inbred biases around who we're bringing in and how we're bringing a team in and where we experience trust in our somatic system, in our body, in our brains can oftentimes be in the things we know. But it's so important for CEOs to move past those barriers of trusting only what they know, right? Trusting only their instinct. They have to move into these spaces that they may not know. Mm-hmm. And they have to pick partners in those spaces that they may not know. Yeah, you know, we talk about this all the time in terms of as a, a young CEO founder is growing their teams, you might pick people that are the right fit for the right stage that your business is at, and they might not be the right people for the next stage of your your business. And I hear this all the time, how how gut-wrenching it is for a CEO to make the decisions and shuffle the deck and and move people around. So I'm I'm assuming you hear a lot about that as well. I just had a session about that this morning. Um, so it is very common. There's sort of some common, you know, just we sort of hear these sort of archetypical experiences again and again, where when you're hiring and you're in sort of your angel to one or you're in your zero to one phase, you're typically oftentimes you're hiring super horizontal talent, right? Where they're generalists and they can sort of jump in and do a number of things. And then ultimately there's a point when you need to start hiring specialists so that you can continue to grow and scale. And so one of two things happens, either you have a generalist that can sort of move into a specialist role or they can't. And that's when it can become become quite painful. Um, One of the things I think is so critical in this sort of moment in time of team building and sort of um, where the CEO has to come to the realization that they have to say goodbye to people that have helped build the team is have you been um, transparent in giving feedback and keeping people understanding where the company is and where we are and where they are in relationship to the company all the way along. And so not only is are these moments in time important, but also how we get to these moments in time. Have we had the integrity and the vulnerability, to use your word again, to have these really direct and brave conversations along the way? Yeah, for sure. I want to flip and talk about you do. Um, you also uh, teach at Stanford, so I'd love for you to share with our listeners some of um, what your expertise is that you share with the MBA students there. Yeah, so I actually facilitate a course called Interpersonal Dynamics, and it's a pretty famous course at Stanford. I'm thrilled to be able to be there, facilitating it. Um, so it is a a, a a course that the students call the Touchy Feely course. and it is oftentimes the tiebreaker like if a if an MBA student gets into like Harvard and Princeton and Stanford it will be the course that kind of tips the scales towards Stanford because it can be life-changing for people and there's two reasons for that 
The first is it actually does give some hard frameworks about how to give and receive feedback. And we spend an entire quarter just practicing giving and receiving feedback inside of those frameworks. The second thing, and probably the more important thing, and this is what the depth work that I do with my clients, is it puts the students back in their bodies. Oftentimes, achievement-oriented leaders and achievement-oriented students are so heady, right? It's like, what's the next thing? And they can't stop thinking at night, and their thinking has gotten them pretty far. And they off, we've left our bodies. There's a great saying in a, in, in a book that I read once, which is like, Mr. Smith let, lived six feet from his body, which is true of all of us. We live like six feet out in front of our bodies. Harry, I'm, so- I'm laughing because <laughs> I had a friend who told me, because I kind of fit in that category, um, as people would know who listen to this podcast, somebody, want, a, a very good friend said to me, Allison, you need to get a weighted blanket to, to keep- yeah your soul and your body and feel more grounded and get a more restful night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah. You're tracking this experience, both it sounds like of, and you're already there if you're recognizing it, right? That's Mm -hmm. 50% of the way. So we really put the students back in their body and reconnect them to their feeling self. What are they actually feeling? And we, we have a list of feelings that we actually say, Hey, point, because people will say tired, happy, sad. When there's you know, 300 feelings in the meta that they could be feeling. And so the, that, that course, I believe, sets us up for leaders who have emotional intelligence. And a big piece of this, you know, how do you create a leadership team or a C-suite team is this, you know, these soft skills that oftentimes I think these young CEOs are sort of dumbstruck over the head because they really have to move from a doing place to a being place. Yeah. Right. And in the being place is the ability to express ourselves and the ability to have hard conversations. And this course really sets these students up to be able to do that. Well, in the leadership style and the, and the, I'm going to say the responsibility and accountability of the leader it changes significantly as you grow that business. And, and you said it earlier, whether you're in, you know, the, the zero to first million to, um, you know, doing your pre-seed funding rounds to your series A, your series B, like what is required of you as a leader is that much more significant. And I, I've talked to quite a few founding CEOs on what it took to make the transition to hire a CEO to replace them in the, the, the way that you have to think about your, your business. So, um, I love what you're sharing that you're doing with individuals because you, again, it's hard for us to tap all of those zones of excellence. And especially if somebody hasn't put you on pause and made you think about it. You know, you're saying something else that's so important about the journey, right? And there was a, in like 2014, 2015, Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz wrote a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And in it, it has this, it's almost like this, I call it a poem called The Struggle. And he does this beautiful job of naming the struggle of being a startup founder or CEO. And one of the most beautiful pieces about how he articulates this is the extreme highs and the extreme lows. 
right? And this idea that you're going to have adversity and how do you continually turn that into opportunity, which is so difficult. When a startup begins, and I've been in six of them now, when a startup begins, I call this the green zone, right? Where there, the possibilities are endless. It's sort of mission focused. There's creative energy. There's iterative energy. People feel good about each other. They're having a lot of fun. And then there can be these moments where either funding is getting tight or resources are getting tight or something happens in the marketplace that redirects what they need to do. And they go into what's called the red zone. And the red zone becomes a place where our creativity zones in our brain actually get constricted. Our anxiety heightens. Our ability to be collaborative goes down. Mm -hmm. There's usually like a right person and a wrong person. And this is when like leadership teams, this is the pedal hits the metal. Right. Because when you get to those points where you move from the green to the red as a CEO and as a leadership team, you have to know what to do and you have to know how to pull yourself out of that state. And so these extremes of experience are also what these CEOs are going through. Right. These ups and these downs to be high and then suddenly to be flattened. And how do you find I call it finding your seven or your eight, which is like finding that zone of kind of staying in that staying in that grounded center underneath that blanket that you talk about. Mm-hmm. No, I, I appreciate that. And I think if you can learn to manage what you're calling the red zone, you can be such an exceptional leader. And a lot of people can't quite get there, or it also can stall the size and the growth of their company because they, they can't get to that next, that next level. That's right. And I've seen you know, not only startups with this, but I've seen huge enterprise level companies who work in the red, it becomes their working style or organizations, you know, teams within large organizations where being stuck in the red just constricts them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, I want to ask the question, and I know we can't generalize anything, right? Everybody is a unique individual, but in your coaching and and with the founders that you've worked with, and, and certainly here on this podcast, we we talk um, with a lot of uh, female founders and a lot of male founders. But is there something that you find that's um, distinctly different, or the I'm going to say the top of mind stressors for those different groups? Um, anything that you would share with our listeners' observations? Well, just as you're saying it, I'm, I was tracking in my mind, oh, well, how many, how many female CEO clients do I have versus male? And sadly, sadly, yeah. most of them, you know, and this is not to say that I don't love, absolutely adore all the men that I work with, but sadly, there aren't a lot of women CEOs still that I'm working with. I would say that um, in, at Stanford, we have you know, a lot of conversations around where are we with gender today? And there is a temptation, especially with younger generations, sort of Generation Z or post-millennial, to believe that we've sort of overcome gender, that we all know, quote unquote, gender doesn't exist, and therefore it's not happening. I think that is truly the intention. Mm-hmm. However, there are deep generationally rooted at the DNA level patterns that still exist. Um, Some of them are being brought into consciousness and many of them are not. So I've I've coined this term 
gender bypassing, which comes from spiritual bypassing. And so I also study and teach meditation and mindfulness. And there's a term in, in that world that where you sort of get the language, but you don't do the inner work, the depth, depth, depth work. And you start using fancy spiritual language, but everyone around you is like, eh, <laughs> you know, are you, <laughs> that person seems to be spiritual bypassing. Well, I also think there's something called gender bypassing which is the intention is right, but the inner work, the depth work, we're just not done. Um, and so that makes it hard for female leaders because I think that there's a way that that can feel gaslighting, right? Like, hold on a minute. We all know that we all kind of get the story at this point, but there's still the work to do to have equality sit in truth. I also think it's it's the same thing in, in getting women on my podcast episode. You know, the men raise their hand, at a lot faster rate than the women. Again, somebody's going to send me a hate message for for these comments. (laughs) Um, But also I think it has to do with how a lot of times women learn. And it's like, I didn't know that I needed an executive coach the first time I needed an executive coach. Like it wasn't anywhere in a realm of anything that I was familiar Mm -hmm. with because for a lot of women like myself, first-generation college student, there was nobody modeling it for me. So the first time I I realized, like I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? Why am I falling short? Why why is this not working? Well, the answer was I had grown as far as I could grow by myself. And I was being asked by the business around me to grow more. And I wasn't failing. I just needed an executive coach or somebody to hold my hand to you know, do that step to that next level. And so I think, you know, I just encourage everybody. I have friends that they're like, oh, my, my, my things aren't working in my marriage. I need to get my husband to a marriage therapist. And I'm like, no, he needs an executive coach. Like there's, there's, these things are normal, but you need somebody to take you by the hand and move you, move you forward. So Sorry, that's my tangent. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I'm, tracking, I'm tracking 100%. You know, it's funny. As you're speaking, I'm remembering and reflecting on the sessions that I have with my female leaders. Session one, we're in it. The vulnerability is there. The trust is there. They're divulging. I noticed very early on in my coaching career that one session one, we, you know, the tears were flowing. We're already getting to the root of what matters Mm -hmm. with my male clients. It takes a while for them to really trust and get there sometimes months before I really get to hear what's really happening. There's, I have a story that that's because it takes a while to build a level of, of safety and psychological safety period yeah. for men. And that makes me sad, right? Because that's the whole other side of the gender conversation, which is that it takes that long for men to feel psychologically safe. The other side of my hypothesis here is that as women, we tend to call each other. We, we, we feel very comfortable kind of falling into each other's arms and having nighttime conversations on the telephone about what's happening. Whereas Oftentimes men don't have these conversations. There's an element of loneliness for especially men that they don't have anyone to really to talk to, right? That's reflecting back to them in the, in the way that women 
do. So I think there's a both and here, right? Women definitely suffer from imposter syndrome and lack of confidence and not wanting to raise our hands and feeling like we're not good enough to come forward. And men, on the other hand, I don't think they suffer as much from the confidence piece, but I do think that they suffer from loneliness at the top. And what you said, the the stress and and the carrying more and more weight on a solo basis. And I think that's kind of the theme of, of where we're at today is, you know, these are our lovely CEOs, lovely founders, building businesses, trying to, as you said earlier, have this wonderful mission focus, but not do it solo and have a place where you can go to and, and talk. And with that, we're, we're coming up on our time, but what are you reading today, listening today, watching podcast? What is some piece of advice or information you can share with our listeners of something they might want to check out? Well, so I'm, this is probably not going to be surprising, but I'm listening to All In. And I say it's not surprising because I feel like that's the hottest podcast right now. I love it because um, I love, number one, that they're all friends. Uh-huh. Um, I love the diversity of thinking that they bring to the table. I wish they would add a woman or two to the conversation. I think it would bring something um, unique and kind of a different perspective. However, as a woman, I do get quite a bit from listening to the minds of these men talk. Um, so that that is something that I have been paying a lot of attention to lately. And then, you know, the other, so that's kind of like the business side of me. Um, on the non-business side of me, I spend a lot of time listening to, I'm going to call them spiritual teachers and mindful, mindfulness teachers, where for me in my career, and you talked about naked truths for the first 18 years of my career, I was raised in ad agencies and there was no formal leadership training that I recall happening. It was sort of like throw, throw someone in. And if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, you were fired and you operated from the day-to-day of, please let me not get fired. Please let me be good enough. And that worked out quite well for me, given where I had come from in my younger years. I had, like many of us, I had a lot of unworthiness conversation going on in my head. So to be in an environment where I was always trying to prove that I was good enough felt absolutely comfortable to me and did nothing to train me to be a leader. So when I found myself in my first corporate role, I was really a mess. I didn't know how to lead, but I was very smart. I knew marketing inside and out. I was a, probably one of the top marketers that I that I had known, but I was an absolute disaster at leading. And it was through that breaking down that and like getting these great the the constant review was like oh my god you're so passionate about marketing but you're so emotional you're so all those words we hear about women right that make us Mm want to cringe but we're true I was losing connection with people because I was just a little too brazen too sloppy whatever it was and so I came to this work because I had to do the work myself so I'm always um tempering my all my business academia and folly and education and podcasts and reading with a healthy dose of humanity. And what that looks like for me is reading meditation and mindfulness and books that tell me how to be human with a human in the world today. 
We have a lot of technology and a lot less humans just being with humans. I really appreciate that. I think that's a lovely um, closing sentiment. And I want to ask if people want to learn more, work with you, find out more, where should they go and what should they do? Yes. So I offer um, a free conversation. Um, It is usually around a half an hour to one hour, depending on where we go. And you can find me at kerryjacobs.com. And there you can see various buttons all over my website again and again that will say, let's chat, talk to me. And you click on that and you can fill out a form and I will reach out to you. Well, thank you for being a delightful guest and for um, sharing some interesting insights. And I want to let our listeners know, if you think Carrie said something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode. And if you liked what you heard, go ahead and go to your favorite podcast channel and give us a rating. And if you know of an innovative and exciting CEO that you think we should speak to, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. Until we speak again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks so much, Allison. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.